chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus, as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearances as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good pur purpose. This is the word of God for the people of God. I say we, we just say amen and call it a day. The choir and that and Corporal and Patton and Chalice. <laughs> but today is World Communion Sunday. And it's the first Sunday in October every year in which we celebrate with, with brothers and sisters, with those gathered as the body of Christ in, in this nation and now throughout the world as, as believers. Something special about this day, it was originally called Worldwide Communion Sunday, we just shortened it a little, but it originated in 1936. Maybe you can go in your head with some of the history of what was taking place, but the Presbyterian Church or its predecessor of that decided that this was a time for us, for Christians across the world to come together and celebrate what it means the intent of today, as it always has been, is to celebrate the call of Christians, of whatever background, whatever theological tradition, to recollect, remember, and celebrate that we are in fact one in Christ, and that the table we receive from, which at communion, is God's table, and it's not our own. Today is our chance here in this church to affirm with all our joy through the sacrament of communion that we are part of the universal church of Jesus Christ, which is everywhere around us. As Gabby and Jackson so beautifully shared with us this morning, the scripture we read, it brings us to a place where we can see God at work and moving in and through us. We are thankful that this speaks of unity because we live in a world that is hyper-divided, telling us not come together, 
to not be one, to not celebrate with each other. It feels like everywhere we turn, we are being asked to take sides, right? To, to even demonize the people on the other side and to never back down. You've got to declare yourself, right? Are you Democrat or Republican? Do you get your news from this channel or the other? Are you Marvel or DC? For those of you that don't know, it's okay, keep going. <laughs> we are inundated with these options. And we are told or forced to, to choose sides. But some of those divisions creep into the church today. Even though Jesus prayed that his church would be one as he and the Father are one, the church of Jesus Christ regularly finds itself assaulted by divisions and dissensions that threaten to tear us apart. And it's no surprise because I believe that we have an enemy that wants to divide and conquer. But let's look at the scripture one more time. If we look at the first verse, any English teacher out there is going to say that is one long conditional clause. If, 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 if you have any encouragement, if any comfort from love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, I see three in one in this. I see Father, Son, and Spirit. The encouragement in Christ. Paul knew as he was talking to the Philippians that we would experience difficulty. But he also knew that Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Be encouraged that Christ is with you this day and every day. So encouragement, comfort, and love. The Christian has infinite comfort at our disposal. And that love that is on display. Comfort that comes to us no matter what is around us. One of my favorite passages of scripture, and I'm sorry I didn't get it in the computer, comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. It says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing, nothing that we can do, nothing around us, nothing experiencing in our life that is separating us from God. Find comfort in that. Encouragement in Christ, comfort in love, participation in the Spirit. Common sharing. Have you been at a time in your life where you can't explain what is going on within you except the moving of the Spirit of God? To act or to be or to respond in such a way that it has to be the Holy Spirit moving us forward. Love of God, the encouragement of Christ, the participation of the Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit, and then it challenges us. If you have any 
tenderness and compassion. Another version says any affection or sympathy. This is what the transforming power of Christ can do in us to move us. We are changed at the root of our affections, at our heart, when we believe. So the motivation that Paul gives for us to be together, united as Christian believers, is none other than the gospel itself. Paul doesn't just give commands. He encourages us with the gospel. That we receive Christ's saving work. God's everlasting love, the Spirit comforting us with His presence and transforming power for us to live it out in the world. All of this should motivate us to be united. So why is it important that we understand this? I believe because we are sinful and fallen and we are drawn to so many other things. We're grouped or we want to be grouped with those that are similar, like us, age, political party affiliation, skin color, sports teams, life experiences, family background, parenting philosophies, clothes you wear, hobbies, even your favorite preacher. It's okay, I understand. There'll be a poll later. <laughs> these things even us cannot bring true unity in Christ's church all those things are just other they're out there they're experiences only the gospel can produce and preserve true, lasting, God-honoring unity in the body of Christ. So that's motivation. But the nature of it is more. If you look at the second verse, it calls us to the why. Then make my joy complete. Then it gives us several reasons of how to do this. It's not actually a how-to, but the what is the nature. The what is, is is being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord, of one mind. Heart, mind, will, it's what draws us in. Taken together, this, this image, these words are important. It's people on the same page about what is important, headed in the same direction, and committed to one another in love. Now, those three alone could be anybody headed in Paulson on Saturday. But we're missing the grounded together in the gospel. That's what changes any of the other connecting points, any of the things that say we have to be this or have to be that. Now, you may be saying, I'm not on the same page as so-and-so. We don't value the same things. I mean, sure, we believe the same gospel, but that's it. We disagree about politics, pandemics, ethics. We both believe in Jesus. I wish I'd never heard that statement shared with me before. 
Because the question is, how can we be unified? Did you hear we both believe in Jesus? I think one of the marks of a growing, maturing Christian is to be able to distinguish between what is important and what is most important. You experience this in your households, right? This is us getting together any day of the school week. Have you brushed your teeth? Most important, right? We've got some sort of clothing on. There is something happening in our hair. Have you brushed your teeth? But what is important, what is most important, the like-mindedness in view here is not about the everything. It's not about sports, clothes, preferences, parties. It's about being together as the body of Christ. Trying to raise all the other stuff to the gospel, trying to raise everything else to the level of Jesus is only going to fall short. It's instructive that Paul does not say, go find people who you can have unity with. Rather, he says this is something you're going to have to work for. So our motivation challenges us. The nature of Christ within us compels us, but we have to practice it. He gives us this in verse 3. I've memorized this and yet my brain won't let me memorize it because of how selfish I am. But it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Paul says we must humbly prioritize others above ourselves. Instead of prioritizing what we want, but that's so incredibly hard to do, is it not? It's so hard. Even within my own household, it's night. I got my jammy jams on. I'm ready for bed. And then my kids want something from me. You mean I got to get up? As silly as that is, you mean I've got to give of myself? You're asking me to be in conversation with you? We, each of us, are utterly convinced that at times we are the most important person in the room. Yet Paul is telling us to rearrange our priorities. My friend, my opponent, they are the most important, more significant. The other practice that he shares with us has to do with our pursuits, what we're chasing after. Look at verse 4. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Rather than simply asking, what do I want? Christians can confidently stop to ask, what is it that you want? Now, don't use this to your advantage when you have to pick out where you're going to for lunch that day. No, no, no. What do you want? That's not what God's talking about. That's not the easy way out in this. But a sincerity of heart. What do you need? 
What do you want? How can I work for your interest and your good and not my own? That's it. That's the instruction. It's a, it's a simple list, but it's exceedingly hard to manage. Now, before I move to the last point, let me issue you a warning. Most of us are fighting hard the temptation to think something in our own minds is, I hope so-and-so is paying attention right now. And that's the most dangerous response we could possibly have to a text like this. Yes, you may at some point be able to humbly encourage someone with Philippians chapter 2. But if you find yourself using Philippians 2 to coerce someone to come towards you and your position, you're missing the point. The instruction is not for us to humble others, but to humble ourselves. Others will fail. They will not live up to the expectation that God has placed upon us. They will not always return your humility or the humility of Christ. But that's not your job. Your job is to follow Jesus. And that leads us to World Communion Sunday and the perfect example of the very nature of Christ following the rest of this hymn found in Philippians 5, verses 2 through 11. The hymn of seeing Christ who humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. It's why we gather the body of Christ broken, the blood of Christ which was shed for our sins, our mistakes, to forgive and cleanse and redeem us. That's the power, that's the model of unity, is that we come together in remembrance of who Christ is and live it out in the world around us. So as verse 12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We've got work to do, but the work is in uniting us as the body. The work is seeing the love of God and living it this day and every day. The work is following the example of Christ where he's on display in our hearts and by being in our hearts in our lives. Will you join me as we now turn our attention to the table of Holy Communion?